0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series Game of Thrones, The Reign of David. This series looks at the reign of David in the books of 2 Samuel and 1 Chronicles to learn from David's victories and failures to see how we can walk more closely with Jesus. Uh, Today we're going to begin the, the last little part of our series, this section in our series that we've called Game of Thrones, which we periodically come back and revisit as we're going through the books of Samuel, the book Kings and Chronicles and looking at the kings and prophets of Israel. And in this segment we've been looking at David's reign and uh, we, we've kind of covered most of second Samuel and I'm going to wrap up for a few weeks here in First Chronicles to kind of talk about uh, the end of David's reign and David's legacy. Today we're going to be looking at uh, we're going to be reading together or looking together at 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 10-22. to 22. As always, the text is there in the little booklet you received, uh, so you can follow along. It's also going to be up here on the screens, and any other text I use today will be up here on the screens. We're kind of really looking at chapters 28 and 29, but just uh, to not have to read the entire chapters, I'm going to read these uh, 12 verses from 1 Chronicles 29. So hear now the word of the living, sovereign, and gracious God. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, "'Praise be to you, O Lord, God of our Father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, and the power, and the glory, and the majesty, and the splendor, for everything in heaven and earth is yours.' that we should be able to give as generously as this everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand we are aliens and strangers in your sight as were all our forefathers our days on earth are like a shadow without hope O lord our god as for all this abundance that we have provided for building a temple for your holy name It comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen how willingly your people who are here have given to you. O Lord, God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep this desire in the hearts of your people forever, and keep their hearts loyal to you. And give my son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands, requirements, and decrees. And to do everything to build the palatial structure for which I have provided. Then David said to the whole assembly, praise the Lord your God. So they all praised the Lord, the God of their fathers. They bowed low and fell prostrate before the Lord and the king. The next day they made sacrifices to the Lord and presented burnt offerings to him, a thousand bulls, a thousand rams, and a thousand male lambs, together with their drink offerings and other sacrifices in abundance for all Israel. They ate and drank with great joy in the presence of the Lord that day. Then they acknowledged Solomon, son of David, as king a second time, anointing him before the Lord to be ruler. And Zadok to be priest. A few years ago, uh, Linda and I celebrated our 30th anniversary, and as part of that, we went to Italy. And one of the most amazing things in Italy was all of the buildings and artwork and structures that were there. Uh, it's just incredible to see all of those buildings that are so old, and they were very often built by powerful, wealthy either leaders or patrons, who were doing something to bless the city and to leave a legacy behind them uh, that they had done, whether uh, that was some of the ancient emperors, Constantine had his arch there, uh, the actual Colosseum itself, or some of the cathedrals that were built in the city. uh, They did this to leave this legacy behind them. And David as well, as we're going to be seeing over these uh, last couple of weeks, planned to leave two great legacies behind him. And that was the temple, the house of God, and then a dynasty that was to rule over the people of Israel to keep them walking in the ways of God. Now the temple may surprise you when I say that's a legacy because when we think of the temple, we think of Solomon, of course, because Solomon actually built it. But as we see in today's text, David made all the preparations. He created the plans. He gave lots of wealth. He encouraged other people to prepare so that Solomon had everything necessary to actually build the temple. But it was David's desire. You remember all the way back when he first became king and achieved victory over the surrounding areas, David had said, I want to build a temple. And God had told him, well, it's going to be a son of yours. And I'm going to establish a dynasty through whom Messiah will come. And so there in the Davidic covenant are these two things, the house of God and the dynasty that was to come. And we're going to be looking at both of those. Today the house, and next week we will look at the dynasty. So let's first begin by talking about those who in this text have a heart for the house of God. First, we see that David has a heart for, to see God's house built. Notice in verses 1 to 3, David here speaks and he says, um, he says to the whole assembly, the task is great because this palatial structure is not for man but for the Lord God. And in verse 2 he says, I provided for the temple of my God. And in verse 3, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures. So at the end of his life and his reign, David is setting in motion these plans for the building of the temple. And he says... Solomon's going to be coming along and Solomon's young and this is a big task because it's not a house for man This is not about building a palace for the king This is about building the house of God It's about building the temple where God is going to be worshiped and so therefore it's more important There may be a palace built for the king But more important than a palace for the king is a temple for our God a house for God and since it's for God and not man. It's even more important. And David says, this is why I'm engaged in this. This is, this is a a denouement of my life. This is where my life has been heading. I want to see the house of God built. I want to see God worshiped, that other people would know who he is and come to walk with Yahweh. And so David says, look, There's not only national resources being used. I've taken my own personal wealth on top of those national resources, and I am personally engaged. The house won't be built until after I've died. But I'm making sure that I am contributing to this and part of this because it's the house of God that is being built. And this is important for us to see is we've studied David. There's a lot of good things And there's a lot of bad things. As we look at the Bathsheba and Uriah incident and Nathan having to rebuke him and then Amnon and Tamar and Absalom, there's a lot of stuff that David does wrong. There's a lot of failures there. But Chronicles is reminding us here at the end of David's reign that despite all of his failures, David is a true worshiper of God and he wants to see God's house built for the glory of God and to draw people to Yahweh. And it's good for you and I to know. We, we need to remember this. D- do any of you struggle with sin? Right? We all do, right? I, I mean, if we're honest, we struggle with sin. And it's good to know that David, the man after God's own heart, struggled. He, he messed up. I mean, how many of you have ever hired somebody to kill somebody else? Right? I mean, not, not too many of us, right? Well, David did. David's flawed, but in the core of his being, he's turned toward Yahweh. In the core of his being, he's a worshiper. In the core of his being, he wants to see the house of God built so that God is glorified and so that people would be drawn into relationship with him. And that's good news. That's gospel for you and me. Despite our failures, they don't put us on the shelf. They don't negate our desire to see God worshipped and us to walk with God and others to do it. And so David has this desire, and notice he not only has the desire personally, but he's actually challenging other people to be involved and engaged in the building of the house of God. David is so desirous of this, he says, i got to draw other people in. So we see in verse 5, David actually asks himself, the, the people, he says, Now who is willing to consecrate himself today to the Lord? So David's saying, look, here's what I've done. I'm engaged in this, but now I've got the question for everybody else. Are you with me? Are we going to build this house together? He's not only devoted to God's house himself, he wants other people to be devoted. And this is because as a true disciple, if you and I have a heart after God, and we are seeking after God, we want to see other people engaged in the building of the house of God, which we're going to see is the church. And here's why. Because we know that that means glory for God and joy and good to the people. So why would I not want you involved and engaged in that when I know it's your own joy? It's going to be for your own good to be engaged in that, and it's glory to God. And so David says, I've got such a heart for the house of God. It's not just that I'm going to do it. Well, you do whatever you want. No, I want to encourage you to join in in building the house of God as well. And in fact, we see in the text that the people themselves did have a heart to see God's house built. After David kind of challenges them in verse 5, we read their response in verse 6. We read, The leaders of the families the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and the commanders of hundreds and the officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly. Notice the description here is everybody from the highest officials in the government of Israel to just the head of each local family. They are there and they are all spoken of as them responding and them becoming devoted to seeing God's house built, that they are all going to give and be part of it. In the New Testament, this same desire comes to fruition in what is known as the priesthood of all believers and every member ministry, that God does not just have a few. It's not that, well, you know, the leaders, the elders, they're called to do ministry and everybody else just sits around and watches. That's not the picture in the New Testament. In the New Testament, the church, the house of God, is built as everybody labors together. Ephesians 4, and 12. This is a very important passage and we need to keep this ingrained in our hearts. I'm going to put it up in the English Standard Version because their translation of the Greek is a little more literal here. Uh, Ephesians 4, and 12 says, And he, speaking of the ascended Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists and the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So notice here, and the reason I like it, the NIV translated works of service, but the actual word is diakonos, diakonia. It's it's the word for ministry or where we get our word deacon from. That's where they're actually doing. They're doing works of ministry. So notice, Jesus gives leaders to the church, and we should be grateful for that. But the leaders are not here to do all of the stuff themselves. And if the leaders do it, then that's enough. David doesn't just do it himself, he's calling everybody to be engaged because he's prefiguring when Jesus, the son of David comes, everybody's going to be engaged in building the church, the house of God. And so the leaders equip and everybody else is engaged in all kinds of ministry. There is no other way for the church to be built. There is no other way for the church to be healthy. Every one of us are part of what's going on in ways big and ways small because every single member, when you become a believer... The Holy Spirit is given to you, and he imparts gifts to you. That is true of every Christian. There is no such thing as an ungifted Christian. We've all got different gifts. They all play different roles, and it's all part of how the church is built. I'm even going to give an example here. I'm studying this text this week, but last Sunday, as many of you know, it was the 35th reunion of my church class at the Naval Academy and so a few of my classmates came out here to church and in fact all of them had visited this church way back when we were mids like forever ago and I was talking to the wives of one of the guys and they had they had misunderstood the time so they'd come a little bit late but I was very encouraged because she told me she said I just want to tell you when we walked in oh my gosh, the greeter out front made us feel so welcome. If I lived here instead of Washington, she's already convinced me this is the church I want to be part of, and I hadn't even come in and experienced it in the ministry yet. I hadn't experienced anything else. And she could not stop gushing about it. Now, uh, and i got got permission to, to say this, I went out and tracked down who it was, and it was Joanne Triantafilides. had stood out front and greeted her, and Joanne said, well, actually, I just took our kind of questionnaire about spiritual gifts and it said this is one of the areas that I do. And she told me this morning, I was praying that God would work in labor. Please understand, Everything is part of the church being built. It's not just a matter that somebody stands up here and teaches the Word of God. That is part of the church being built. But it is everything from praying before the meeting, greeting new people as they walk in, uh, praying for people during the meeting, joining in the worship. Every part of it is necessary for the building of God's house, the church. And that's why David calls the people in prefiguring Jesus who says everybody's going to be gifted. That's the glory of the new covenant. God's house can only be built if all of God's people are devoted to and engaged in the work. If only a few are devoted and engaged, the church is not going to be healthy. But if we are all devoted and engaged together, the church is going to be healthy, God receives glory, and we receive joy for being part of that. So, and, and notice here, this is what goes on before we even, all these are kind of background to the text that I read. Notice what we're told is the leaders and the people were encouraged by each other's devotions. As the leaders were devoted, the people were encouraged, and as the people responded, the leaders were encouraged. In verse nine, the people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly the Lord, and David the king also rejoiced greatly. The people look and see the leaders responding and they're encouraged by that and then david the king is looking and saying oh my word it's not just me everybody's engaged in this that is such an encouragement to my heart as a leader is what david is saying so that's the principle that underlies everything we're talking about this morning is everybody's involved leaders and every member in the church don't ever ever let anybody tell you that as a believer you're not get called and gifted and equipped to be able to do works of ministry whatever those are every part is imperative you can see first corinthians 12 if you want to read about that more now how is the house actually built then well there's several things that come out of our text the first thing god's house and when I say this, I'm going to come back to this in applying the word, but remember, what is the house of God today? The church. And it's what Bobby said at the beginning of the meeting, anticipating a text I'm going to put up later. What is the church? First off, what's not the church? The building you're sitting in is not the church. What is it? A building. Nice building. I prefer sitting in this rather than sitting outside cold and getting what? Right? We want to use this to bless our community. But the church is people, okay? So how do we do that? It's the same way that the house of God, the temple, is built in the Old Testament. The first thing we see is God's house is built when his people worship. The house of God is a house of worship. Notice in verses 10 to 13, the early part of the text I read, David begins by saying, praise be to you, O Lord. He begins by worshiping God. In verse 11, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. This is worship. In verse 13, Now our God, we give you thanks and we praise your glorious name. David as a leader is leading the people to be a people of worship because that's how the temple is prepared. And then in fact, when the temple is built, that's exactly what they're doing at the temple. The temple is about prayer and worship. That is what it is there for. And notice, if we question, well, does this apply to us What's interesting is, if you notice here in verse, uh, particularly in verse 11, when we hear the the greatness and the power and the glory for everything in heaven and earth is yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. This phrase is where the, the concluding phrase of the Lord's Prayer. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. It comes out of this prayer right here. Jesus models the prayer he gave to us. So the people of God now, 3,000 years after David prayed that, are still repeating this prayer. They're still worshiping God with these words that David provided because the house of God, all ages, all times, all places, is a place of worship. Because the primary focus in God's house is God himself. A little bit of bad news for you. If you come here thinking the focus is you, it's not god is the center of the universe i know we all act like we are but we're not god's the center of the universe because if you and i try to make ourselves the center of the universe around which everything else revolves we're going to find out we are wholly incapable of the task we cannot i can't even be the center of my own life much less the rest of the world or the universe So when we come to God's house, God is the center. God is the focus, which is why worship is what we are called to. Now, we receive all kinds of benefits, and I'm going to come back to that. Benefits flow when you have God as the focus, but it starts with Him being the focus and everything else is the fruit. And the joy and the blessings come only when I take my focus off myself and put it on god that's when the joy comes and flows so god's house is a house of worship and it is built when god's people engage and please hear this phrase i'm going to keep repeating it in active passionate worship we are engaged in active passionate worship and if we're not then we're not really building the house of god but let me tell you here's the goal is not about me trying to get passion. All you have to do is when you see God, the, the God that Dave is describing, who is glorious and full of splendor and exalted and ruling over all, when you see that God, if you are a believer, your heart wants to worship. If you're an unbeliever, it's a fearful, scary thing. But I have good news for you. You can you can come in and join the party. You, you can be part of what God is doing. But All we need to do to be drawn into worship is look at God. It's not about being cajoled into it. See God, worship arises. And so if we're not engaged actively and passionately, then we need to focus on what we're doing. When we were singing this morning that song, I love it so much, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. If, if you can look at the mystery of who God is and what he has done, and that Jesus has come as the second Adam and has fulfilled the law for us and has died, the God of life was slain on the tree, but death itself cannot hold him. He is raised, praise the Lord, he is alive. If that doesn't draw worship out of you, You need to ask yourself some serious questions because the gospel draws worship out of us, which leads to the second point, which is the foundation of God's house, the church, and the foundation of our worship is the gospel. Everything goes back to the gospel, always. It is the good news. And so notice what David says here David, the man after God's own heart, David, the king, David, whose house Messiah will come from. Here's his prayer. But who am I, and who are my people, that we should be able to give as generously? As this. Everything comes from you, and we've only given what comes from your hand. We are aliens and strangers in your sight, as were all our forefathers. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Now, if I had been there, I might said, Who are we? David, you're the anointed king. You're the one that God called. You're you're the one through whom Messiah's gonna come. Who are we? We're the children of Abraham. We're the people of Israel. But notice what David says. Oh, no, there's humility here. Because at the end of the day, who are we? We're only those who God says we are. And he even uses this phrase again. I want you to see how rich this passage is uh, in the New Testament. They pick up on this over and over again. So David says, look, we're, we're aliens and strangers. We're, we're foreigners from you. Paul picks up on this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 to 13. And he says to the Ephesians, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise. Do you hear how he's picking up David's language? And he says, Without hope, David's language, and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near Through the blood of Christ. David is praying the gospel and saying, hey, we were just aliens and strangers. We had no hope. Life was hard and cruel. But here's where our hope is. We were far away, but we've been brought near. We were without uh, any right to your mercy, but you have made covenant with us. We are now your people. Worship is based on the gospel everything we have is based on the gospel look at those words those are true not only the ephesians this was you i heard this morning as i was worshiping an old bob dylan song that third day had re-recorded and it uh it's called saved and it's got this phrase i love he says i was stone cold dead when i stepped out of the womb friend that's what you were you were stone cold dead Hostile to God. Cut off from His mercy. And God was rich in mercy towards you. You had no claim to it, nor did I. But He was merciful and kind to us. He raised us from the dead. He opened our eyes. He's given the Holy Spirit as a deposit to us. We are covered with the righteousness of Christ. That is the gospel. And if we meditate on that, if you soak in that, there is no other response than worship. Because we live in a world that deserves the righteous wrath of God. And yet, we receive mercy because of what God has done for us. It's not me. I cannot ever look at someone else. Anyone who looks and says, like the Pharisee, oh God, I thank you, I'm not like them hmm, you're in trouble. I cannot look at a neighbor. I cannot look at anyone who is of a different political persuasion or they live their lives differently and say, oh, I thank you, God, I'm not like them because the Lord could play a tape of what I'm like. No, my prayer is, oh, God, I am grateful that Christ has lived and died and been raised for me and that his righteousness is given to me. Oh Lord, and I pray the same mercy I have found you would extend to others. And so the gospel recognizes everything we have comes from God, and it calls for a response of gratitude. And any work we do in building the house of God or anything else is always and only a response to the magnificent grace of God. Third point, we not only, it's worship, And it's worship that is fueled and built upon the gospel. But thirdly, it's built on the response of sacrificial giving of his people. Those who've received the gospel do respond. And one of the ways, which is particular in this text, is sacrificial giving. Again, notice in verse 6, The leaders of the family, the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, and officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly. The people are giving, in this case financially, so that the house of God could be built. And David had gone into great detail, if you look at the first few verses, about how much financially he had given so that the house of God could be built. And this was important because money represents our very life. It's my labor. I don't know about you. I'm not independently wealthy. I didn't have somebody just give me stuff. I have to work. I have to sweat to earn my... So when I give, I'm giving my life. That's what I'm doing. And I am saying, I am committed with my life, with the work of my hands, with the sweat of my brow. I am committed to seeing God's house, God's church, built and so these people are doing the same thing and out of that gratitude they are giving to the house of God and so now it's important we very very rarely actually talk about money around here because there's too many churches that speak too much about it but it is important to understand God there's at least three reasons why God tells us to give sacrificially to the work of God's house particularly financially number one it's a reminder how much of what I have comes from God right see some well it's you know 10 percent no no it's not everything I have the Apostle Paul tells us life and breath come from God everybody breathe in Who, Whose air are we breathing it's God's air everything you have comes from God Deuteronomy tells us it's God who gives us the power to make money in the first place your intelligence your 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 work ethic whatever you have is a gift of God even if you don't know him it's a gift of God and so when I give I'm reminding myself this is not because of my power it's God's prayer everything I have has come from you that's David's prayer secondly it's a protection against making money an idol is that a problem for human beings Oh, man, we worship funny little green squares here in America. We build our life around it, and it's an idol. And anything that is an idol, you can bet God has given us an antidote to undermine that thing. And so this is one where God says, I don't want you ruled by mammon, was the ancient idol. I don't want you ruled by that because it is a cruel God a cruel taskmaster. And then thirdly, it spurs on the using of our other gifts, talents and time to help build God's house. Because sacrificial giving is not just about money, it's giving of everything I have. It's it's who God has made me being engaged in the building of God's house. And when I am saying my Monday through Saturday labor is being represented as I give to God's work in the earth today, that's a reminder everything. I can't just write a check and say, well, I'm done serving God. No, all I have, my gifts, my talents, my energy, my labor, my time. God, you own all. Everything is yours. It actually even spurs on obedience to God's commands, which we have to be part of. And then finally, notice, so if there's a place of worship that is built upon and fueled by the gospel and that produces us giving sacrificially the work of God the result is joy in the people of God joy in their hearts notice in 1st Chronicles 29 we're told they ate and drank with great joy in the presence of the Lord that day is God interested in you and I having joy he is the problem is not joy. The problem is where we think we can get joy. Joy is not found in anything else. In Jeremiah, it says that's broken cisterns. It's going to a dry well. It doesn't work to seek joy elsewhere. But when you and I are engaged in seeking God, and our heart and our focus is on God and His purposes in the earth, so it's focused on God and His church, that produces joy for us why did god create humans to glorify god and enjoy him for how long forever forever Forever. joy comes from knowing and loving and worshiping god and serving god and spreading that around it rebounds back in joy for us a life turned in on itself ends in misery But a life devoted to loving and serving God's purposes ends in joy. Who wants to volunteer for misery? Anybody? I didn't think so. Because if you want misery, focus on yourself. If you want joy, focus on God and His purposes in the earth. Sow into that, and it will produce joy no matter what else goes on. And notice here, Contrary to what our culture would have, this joy is communal. communal. They ate and drank with great joy in the presence of the Lord that day. See, this is because, again, when we are invested in the church, we are invested in the community of God, and the joy that results is a communal joy because you and I were made as relational communal beings right from the very first thing we're told let us make man in our image you are in the image of the triune god who has eternally been in a loving giving relationship father son and holy spirit you are made in that image and when you are renewed and redeemed and the image of christ comes to you it's in the context of his people joy is communal and so friends if we're not experiencing joy as part of our life of the people of God, we have to examine, am I I building my life the way that God's telling me to build my life, or is it turned in on myself? Because a life that is focused on God and his purposes in the earth will produce joy. So let's talk about how to apply this, and we'll come to the Lord's table together. So the simple question is that arises out of this text, as we look at David's life, is am I devoted to building God's house, the church? God's house today is not a building, it is the church. Let me throw up just a couple of New Testament scriptures to show why I'm saying this. 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul says to the Corinthians, Do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? pronouns here in Greek are plural okay and his text here is not about me individually being the temple it is the church as the temple individually we are as well that's 1 Corinthians 6 19 and 20 this text is about the church and so notice the temple of God which is what David was building is the church is God's temple a building I want to hear by is God's temple a building. No, if we build a building that is glorious, is that going to make it the temple of God? If they build a building over in Jerusalem, is that going to make it the temple of God? How many temples does God have? One, it is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the only temple of God in the New Testament. In the New Covenant, there is one temple. It is the church of the living God. The temple in the Old Testament is just a pointer forward to that. It's a picture. It's a type for when Jesus comes. Just like David is a type of Jesus, the temple is a type of the church. First Peter, which Bobby began the meeting with today, and I don't think you didn't even know I was going to use this, did you? Nope. So, hey, maybe God was leading. Um, First Peter says, As you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, the temple, to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So the call's not to build a physical building, but rather the church of Jesus Christ. Now, in this world... You have to have buildings. I have to have a place to live. We have to have a place that we're going to meet. But the church is not the building. The church is the people. Just like my house is not my family. It's the place where I raised my children and where grandchildren hang out and Linda and I live and do things. But our family is the people. So the church is us. If you look around right now, you see the church whether we're here or whether we were sitting out in the field somewhere. We are the church. So the question is, am I helping to build the church here at BRCC? Now, I'm specifically asking about BRCC because it's important. The church is both universal and local. The church is the people of God down through the ages, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Peter and Paul and James and John and Augustine, and Chrysostom, and on and on. And it's the church in our time and day, like this local congregation. People of God in one specific time and place. But see, here's the thing. I can't build the church of God in David's day. I can only build the church of God in my day. And the fact is, I can't build the church of God in some other location. Practically, the way it is because God has made you and I as incarnate beings, how many places can I be at once? One. Doctrine of the Incarnation. This doctrine stuff's really important. You are made in such a way you can't live out your life here and in some other country. You can only live your life out where God has placed you. And so if we're going to build the house of God, we build it in the context of a local congregation. Not because this local congregation is the best church in the world or even the best church in Annapolis, but because it's where God has placed us. See, when God builds you into a house like in 1 Peter chapter 2, then you have to be somewhere in the wall. I'm not just called to be a random brick roaming around. I'm built in with other bricks around me. Not so that I can hit them in the head with those bricks. Okay? See, we like universal and across time because those people, their sins don't affect me. But your sins affect me, and my sins affect you. So God says, good, that's why I want you built in, because that's called sanctification. Okay? So am I helping to do that? Well, here's how I answer that question. Am I actively, purposefully engaging in worship when the church gathers? I'm going to keep using these words. Actively, purposefully engaging. Because if it's not active, if it's not purposeful, if it's not engaged, it's not worship. Nor the other things that we're going to talk about. Worship is not just some random thing, maybe I do or maybe I don't. I determine, I start preparing for gathering with the church to worship on Sunday morning, on Saturday evening, and have for a long time. About long before I get here, I'm engaged and prepared, because the church gathers once a week as the whole congregation to engage in worship. I don't want anything to mess with that. I clear it out last week when we had our our 35th reunion i had cleared space out for that because it only happens every five years my class gets together well if if i do that just to hang out with old friends here's what's even more important clearing out space to gather with god's people for worship am i doing that if not i'm not helping build the church secondly am i actively purposefully financially giving to support the work of god in and through brcc It's not enough, for example, that we say, wow. You know, when Johnny stands up here and we say, there's Christians suffering around the world. Somebody ought to do something about that. God says, yes, and you're somebody. And you need to be engaged, and you need to support that. It's one of the reasons we're so passionate about working in missions around the world. But we're also planted here locally. You walk in our lobby, you see everything about our philosophy. We are planted in Annapolis This is where we are, and we are a church for the city. We are also engaged around the world because God's mission goes from here to the ends of the earth. And to do that, all of us participate. We give financially so that the work of the church can go on. And if we're not engaged in that way, it's a question, how much is my heart? Is my heart really like David's? Is my heart really like the people's? Because if it is, then I need to do what they were doing as an example for us. Thirdly, am I actively, purposefully connecting in relationships with other BRCC members? Everything in this text is communal. Everything. It's about the people of God together working to see the house of God built. They experience joy together. Am I actively, purposefully connecting in relationships with other BRCC members. Because let me give a little secret for today's world. This world is so busy, and technology, for all its blessings, has made us so disconnected. If you do not actively, purposefully work to build relationships, they won't happen. They just won't. Throughout much of human history, you grew up in the people that you were born near, you lived near, you went to school with, you, you went to the store with, you shopped in each other's shops, you shared food, you did everything because everything happened within a mile or two. How many of you conduct your entire lives within a mile or two? If I were to ask, many of us are probably driving 30, 40, 50 miles just to get to work. We're in completely different locations. What that means is we, we can't wish ourselves back to 1,500. We live in this world. But it means I better be active and purposeful about engaging and connecting with one another. It's why we encourage small groups. It's a way to start flowering and building and supporting those kind of relationships with one another. Because that's where joy is found. Then the last question, and we'll come to the Lord's table, am I using my gifts to serve in ministry? Remember, everybody's doing this. Everybody is called. Everybody is gifted. Everybody's being equipped. Am I using those gifts? Is there such a thing as a disciple who is primarily a consumer? There's not. But our culture has been molding and shaping you and me to be consumers from the second you were born. From the second that doctor slapped you on the backside and welcomed you into this world, they started forming you into a consumer. It happens to every one of us. But when we come into the church, God says you're not here to be a consumer. You're here to be an active participant. It's the difference between You know, this afternoon, watching a football game and actually getting in the game. And friends, we're not called to be participators. I mean, spectators. We're called to be participators. We're not called to be consumers. We're called to be actively engaged disciples. Am I actively engaged, using my gifts to accomplish God's purposes? Whatever that looks like. Now, what this means, we're going to come to the, the Lord's table, and it's very appropriate because this gospel and this table are about joy building the church of god produces joy but this joy as i've been saying only comes when we remain rooted in and focused on the gospel the gospel reminds me who am i to be part of this i could have been on my own way lost as i was but god has been gracious and brought me in See, God did not need you and me to build his church. He really does not need us. The God who spoke and created the entire universe could have actually accomplished all this apart from us. He chose to bring us into that process. And that should produce joy for us. The gospel reminds me I was lost. I was without hope. I've now been brought in given an inheritance given the spirit of god gifts blessings and i am part of his people and building together to do it and so as we come and so often we come to this table i want to put up that verse in first chronicles and remind us notice at the end of it as they have focused on the gospel and they're building the house it ends with them doing what what does their worship end with eating and drinking in the presence of the Lord and its joy. Well, that's exactly what we do so regularly here. Once again, it's a type and a shadow looking forward to the new covenant. When we worship and we build the house together, we come and we eat and we drink in the presence of our Lord together. So I want to encourage you today, if you are a believer, if you understand what we sang in that song, come behold the wondrous mystery that your only hope is Jesus and you know you're not in by your works, but by His, then we encourage you to come and eat and drink with us. Remind everybody, if, if you have a problem with gluten, we are glad to provide a, a gluten-free option for you. Just raise your hands. But other than that, I want to encourage us to come in together as the church of God and to eat and drink together. And I, I will tell you as we go in, this week we're going to do something a little different. I'm going to go through, you know, the the words of institution that Jesus gave. But when we're getting ready to take, the prayers I'm going to be praying today are from a document known as the Didache. It's from the first century church, thousands of years ago. And I'm doing that for two reasons. Number one, God's work did not start here at Bay Ridge in 1968. I'm really grateful for this church. I'm glad to be part of this church. I've been part of it for about almost 40 years now, 30, almost nine years. But God's work didn't begin with us. We're part of a church through the ages, and the gospel's the same. So we're going to be using that prayer. Secondly, I want you to notice that it's built a lot about David and who David is, because the church didn't even begin on the day of Pentecost. It stretches all the way back as long as God has been redeeming and bringing people into relationship with Himself. So, As you're going through and doing that and you're hearing it, I want you to be reminded, Christians have been praying these kinds of things for thousands of years. We're part of the ongoing building of the house of God. So what I receive from the Lord, I pass on to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you, Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he Comes. Father, we thank you for bringing us to this table. We thank you, Lord, that just as you have been calling people down through the ages, so you have called us. And Lord, just as they have been worshiping you and giving you thanks for your gospel and your grace, so do we this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. As you get the elements, please hold on to them. Again, if you want the gluten free option, raise your hand. And please be considering what the gospel is, what it means to you, and how we are engaged in building the church together. We give thanks to you, our Father, for the life and knowledge which you have revealed to us through your servant, Jesus. To you be the glory forever. As this broken bread was scattered upon the hills and having been gathered together became one, so may your church be gathered together from the ends of the earth into your kingdom. For yours is the glory and the power through Jesus Christ forever. Take and eat. And we give thanks to you, our Father, for the holy vine of your servant, David, which you have revealed to us through your servant, Jesus. To you be the glory forever. Amen. Take and drink. We give thanks to you, Holy Father, for your holy name, which you have caused to dwell in our hearts. And for the knowledge and faith And immortality which you have revealed to us through your servant Jesus. To you be the glory forever. You almighty master created all things for your name's sake. To all people you have given both food and drink to enjoy in order that they might give you thanks. But to us you have freely given spiritual food and drink and eternal life through your servant Jesus above all we give you thanks because you are mighty to you be the glory forever amen remember your church O lord to deliver her from all evil and to perfect her in your love and to gather her as the holy one from the four winds into your kingdom which you have prepared for her for yours is the power and the glory forever And God's people say, Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to conclude with the word of benediction from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I encourage you to receive the blessing of our God. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. May God fill your hearts with joy as you labor for him. In Jesus' name, amen.